Well, hello. It's great to see you. I love that we're back and growing every weekend. It's just fun to see so many of you coming back for the first time as well. Hi to everybody online. Welcome. We're really glad. And we want you in here with us too, eventually, when you're comfortable. Fun weekend. We have a lot going on here at Timberline. One of the things is Summit. Now, some of you know what Summit is. Summit is the entryway into our church. It's like the first class we ask new people to take. My wife, Bonnie, and I just kind of do a presentation of Timberline, who we are, uh, a little bit about us. You meet our pastoral team, and it's today. It's happening today. We want to feed you lunch and have our class. And so if you haven't signed up, you don't have to. You can just show up at 1230 in the south. But we do have child care, so if you have kids... Uh, or you haven't signed up, there's a table out there that has a big summit sign across. Just put your name on the list so we know how much food to order because we're having really good pizza. And it is really good. I'm not kidding. It's really fun. It happens really fast starting at 1230 today. And guess how long it's been since we've been able to do summit? A year and a half. We usually, we're doing it every other month or so. So it's so weird to say, come to summit. You know, it's been a long time. So if you haven't been or you're new to Timberline, it's for you. So please come and let's have fun. It's been crazy in Old Town this weekend. Anybody been down there? Taste the Fort Collins? It's just, it's really hopping down there. I, I would recommend avoiding it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's actually really fun, a lot of good food and stuff. So just uh, get down there if you want to, if you can. Today's message, we're, we're doing a series in Psalms. If, you, if you're new or you don't know, and we're looking at different psalms and what they mean, and today we're talking about the God who rescues us. Anyone in here ever been rescued, like emergency, an ambulance, helicopter, anybody uh, rescued? Yeah, quite a few of you. Good. Bad. Sorry. Whatever happened. Whatever happened. Sorry. But, but yeah, sometimes when we say rescue, we automatically think of physical rescue. Someone falls off a cliff or you know, an accident, and, then, and there's a physical side. But today, it's physical for David. He's the writer of Psalm 3. It's a song. But it's also a rescue by God emotionally, relationally, spiritually. And although it's only eight verses, it contains a power punch that I think you'll enjoy as we walk through Psalm 3. Many of these psalms, David is in hiding from King Saul. He's been around, and he writes in desperation. This psalm, even though it's early Psalm 3, is written when David is established as king, but he's about to lose his kingdom. Now, some psalms have narrative or a story that goes with it. We've done quite a few of those. Some psalms are just songs or inspiring words that come that are written for us to enjoy. This particular psalm, Psalm 3, was written at one of the worst times in David's entire life. It was when his son Absalom completely betrayed him and took over the kingdom of Israel. I can't even imagine the emotion that David was going through when this happened. So if you go back to 2 Samuel chapter 15, you can read the story of how Absalom betrayed his father and took over, and he actually became king for a while. He proclaimed himself king, I should say it that way, for a while in Israel. And it's in this window that David wrote Psalm 3. 
So it's heavy. It's addressing his emotion. It's addressing how he feels about his enemies. And it's addressing some of his self-talk about what all of Israel is saying about him. So it's very applicable to our lives. And so what I'd like to do is I would like to read that, that chapter 15 of 2 Samuel before I read Psalm 3 because it will put the narrative in place. So, so just Now this is filled with story and it's just a few verses. So in your mind, how many of you had a good imagination? Just, just okay, so not that many of you. Okay. A few, how many of you just don't ever raise your hand no matter what the pastor says? You just, okay. Okay, that's what I thought. Yes, thank you. Use your imagination and see this picture. After this Absalom, that was David's son's name, he bought a chariot and horses and he hired 50 bodyguards to run out ahead of him. He got up early every morning and he went out to the gate of the city. When people brought a case to the king for judgment, because that's how it worked back then, if you had a grievance, you brought it to the king. Absalom would ask, where in Israel were they from? And they would tell him about the tribe. So in other words, he's, he's talking, he's, he's having this, all this interaction with these people who were coming with these cases. And then verse 3, when Absalom would say, he would say, you've really got a strong case here. Too bad the king doesn't have anyone to hear it. So he's, he's just pulling the rug out from underneath his dad, trying to get people irritated. I wish I were the judge. And then Everyone could bring their cases to me for judgment, and I would give them justice. When the people tried to bow before him, Absalom wouldn't let them. Instead, he took them by the hand and he kissed them. Absalom did this with everyone who came to the king for judgment. And so, this next line's big. He stole the hearts of all the people of Israel. Politics. Right? exactly what he did. He knew he could win that favor. David wasn't available, so he would become available, and they would all love him. David's son Absalom stole the kingdom of Israel from his own father. Wow, what a story this is. Healthy family, huh? Now, I've got to tell you that four chapters earlier, just to put it in perspective, David commits adultery. I'm not sure David is a great dad. I'm not sure that, matter of fact, he commits adultery with Bathsheba. The, the Bible says that he, it starts like this, which is interesting. When kings go off to war, David stayed home. Why did he stay home? Well, no one knows. But he didn't go like he was supposed to, to battle. And the next verse says he walked out on the terrace and saw Bathsheba bathing. And he, he summoned for her to come, and they had an affair, and then she's married. So David has her husband killed in battle. Real nice guy. You know, maybe if I was his son, I wouldn't like him either. I don't know. I, I'm not trying to be judgmental on any of these people. I'm just telling you, the Bible, man, the Bible tells it like it is. And that's one thing I do like about the Bible, is it's blunt. And this family has problems, and there are many issues and so we pick up the story with all these reasons, all these side stories with David and Absalom and the extended family and everyone has a side. Wow. And that's number one in your outline. It's a sad reality. This, this story of betrayal 
is a sad reality that's truly in David's life. And I want us to know that sometimes tough things happen to us in our lives, whether we deserve them or don't deserve them. We are stuck in a world that is less than perfect. How many of you know that's true? I've created my own problems lots of times. But I've also been in some problems that I had nothing to do with. And I just got sucked into it because of someone else's decision or behavior. And, 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 and those are really tricky. But here's how David, now we go to Psalm 3. You know the context. And he starts this, it's a song. It's a short song. But it has, if you've been around our series, you'll get this. It has three silas in it or interludes in the song. Now, there are only 74 in all of the Psalms, so this little eight verses has three of them. And what that means is it's a very contemplative song. It's a song where a statement is made, and then there's a lot of time where the voices stop and the music continues for you to think about what's being said. So we'll stop and we'll pause and look at that. Verse 1 of Psalm 3, O Lord, this is David, I have so many enemies, so many are against me. This is setting the, the tone for the song. This is David recognizing that he has been in exile. It ended up, if you read the rest of that story that I stopped reading, David got his warriors and they ran away so they wouldn't be killed. They would have died otherwise. Absalom declares himself king and David is in hiding and he knows he has a lot of enemies. Now, I think... We could just talk about the psalm, but I want to pause here and talk about something very personal. And that is your kids. How many of you have them? If you don't yet, they are a blessing from the Lord. We know that. But I want to talk about your kids, especially your adult kids. And today we're going to pray over our families because this story is very twisted. And it's very sad. So many times I... I listen to parents grieving over their children's decisions. So many times as a pastor, I sit with parents who are weeping because of a decision that one of their children has made. And the parents begin to ask questions like, did I fail? What could I have done different? How much of this is my fault? David had great sin. He's contemplating all of this, I guarantee you. The one thing you need to know about David that separates him from a lot of other people with great sin is that David truly came to repentance. He repented before God. He owned it. He owned his sin, but it still left a mark. Sin scars the family. Sin scars your relationships. Sin scars you. And David is seeing that now firsthand. Some of you may be experiencing that. You may have made mistakes in your life. When does your responsibility end with raising your kids? When can you stop asking if it's your fault, the decisions they make with their life? I, I remember my kids still talk about this sometimes, especially Ryan, because he's our oldest and I remember saying to my wife, Bonnie, Bonnie, when, when he goes to college, I'm going to have a little talk with him, letting him know that 
you know, I'm done raising him. We're not, we've raised him for this. And now he's an adult. And he's like 18 or 19, whatever. So we take him off to college in Arizona. And <laughs> I remember he gets unpacked up in his place and he's all excited. And I have this little moment where I say, Ryan, I just want you to know, mom and I are done raising you. <laughs> we have invested in you. We've done everything we know to do. You're leaving our home the decisions you make from here on out are on you. It's not my fault if you choose to be with people and get in trouble. It's on you. Don't call me. No, I, I wasn't that harsh. <laughs> By the time I was done, he's like looking at me like, are you disowning me? I mean, I, I, I felt so bad. I, I, I loved him, but I, I made this statement. I said, the umbrella that we had had over you in your upbringing is now removed. And you are making your own decisions. <laughs> they are, he talks about it to this day like scared me to death. I was like, and we've worked it out since then. How many of you know your, your umbrella never, ever gets removed? You know, it, so I don't know what I was talking about. But fortunately, Bonnie and I were perfect parents, and our kids were perfect kids. And our grandkids are perfect grandkids, and so it, it all worked out. There is a moment, what I'm saying is when... When you as a parent need to stop accepting responsibility for the decisions that your adult children make. And you can't always be there. And, and here's what I want you to know. This is so important today. You guys, please get this. Especially with your adult kids. You love them and if you're estranged from them, if they've done things and it's pushed you away, don't burn your side of the bridge. Because God has a plan for restoration that you do not know about. And by the way, God loves your kids way more than you do. Way more than you do. And He can chase them down when you can't. You chase them, they will run away. God chases them, they just might come home. David didn't get it all right. That's the point. This story is so sad because of that. And David's writing a psalm, and he's saying, I've messed up. I know I have so many enemies out there. Number two is the voice of strangers. And this is where David really lets out some feelings in this psalm about self-talk and what he's hearing from Israel. It's in verse 2. So many are saying, God will never rescue him. Meaning, they'll never rescue David. God will never rescue you, David. Now he's vocalizing this in a song and he's hearing the voice of Israel because of what Absalom has done, but it's getting to him. And then it has the first interlude or selah. Pause, voices stop, music continues. Let's contemplate what was just said. This is big news and it's very sad. Others who know your story will form opinions about you. That's just what happens in our world. People make judgments about us even when they, and most of the time they don't have all the facts. Have you noticed that? It's very frustrating for me sometimes when people can tell their side of the story but I can't tell mine. Because it just comes out as hateful. Even though it's just the truth. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And you just, it's really hard. And so David starts reflecting on how Israel feels about him, and he says, God will never rescue me. That's what people are saying. 
They're not going to rescue him. There's a thing in this Hebrew culture where if you go a little too far across the line, God's done with you. That's what David is referring to. He's referring to this little rule that says, if you cross a certain line, even the God of Israel will write you off and be done with you. And that's what the people are saying. And, and, and it's coming back to David, even God won't rescue him because he's committed adultery, he's committed murder, he's lied, he's been a hypocrite, he's done all these things, he's not a leader, we don't want to follow him, and even all the people are saying God will not rescue him. Your self-talk is very, very important. And what you perceive, and I, I've learned a couple things about this. When someone comes up to me and they say something like, well, everybody's saying that, I know that's about two people. Or four people. Them and someone else. Everybody's saying, right? Be careful with saying everybody's saying because everybody is a lot of people in the world. David was grieving. And this is what happens. I hear, I hear it. But pastor, you don't know what I've done. I brought all this on myself. It's all my fault. I've made terrible choices. I don't deserve God's help at all. And that's when I know they're in a really good spot because they're owning their sin, their problem, their issue. The minute you can say all of those things, guess what? You're right. But here's the good news. God gives us what we do not deserve. Of course I don't deserve forgiveness. Of course I don't deserve grace. And other people may not forgive you. That's on them. But God will. When you repent and you come clean and you own it and you say, I'm done with this, God will let his mercy and his grace come over your life. And David knows that because he's experienced it. And now he can say, everyone's saying you won't rescue me, but I know who you are. And I know that we serve a God who is bigger than the voices of Israel. You guys, be careful the voices that you let ring into your head and come out into your mind and convince you otherwise because you have a God who doesn't necessarily share the opinions of the world. Amen? It's true. So you got to be paying attention to this. And this, is, this, this changes the psalm. It's for verse 1 and 2. Now it, it transitions. Number three, what is my view of God? In light of betrayal and all this stuff, what is my view of God? How am I going to climb on top of this depression, this discouragement? Well, we'll find it in verse 3. Suddenly David changes his tone and he stops talking about himself. He stops talking about the voices of Israel and he starts talking about his God. And this is what he says. But you, O Lord, are a shield around me. You are my glory. The one who holds my head high. In other words, I can't hold my head high. I know, head high. I know what I've done. I cried out to the Lord and he answered me from his holy mountain. Selah interlude ponder that think again who my god is i've learned through the years that when pain comes to people in a general sense they do one of two things they run toward god and ask him for help or they run away from god and blame him for the situation 
And I've seen people who didn't believe in God at all run to God when they, when they hit the bottom. And I've seen people who walked with God all their life when things got so bad walk away from God in the hardest time of their life. And I've, it's been a mystery to me. I can't explain why people do what they do. But I think you need to be paying attention to how you respond when pain and trouble comes into your life. Are you, is your tendency to blame God and run away? Or to run to him in brokenness, needing and petitioning him for help. David knew who God was, and he knew he was bigger than his circumstance, and, and he came to him. He decides to run to God. And today, I hope some of you who are in the pain of your life, in the middle of this story that's, that's being written about you, that you will, you will have a pivotal point, point, and you will run to God in your pain. Number four, I want to talk about the mystery of peace because the peace of God comes over David and he makes a statement about that peace and I think we can learn from it and I'm going to try my best to help us to understand the difference between getting something resolved and having a peace about it. I got all the bills paid. I'm at peace now. I don't have that sitting on my dresser versus an inner peace that comes when the circumstances haven't changed. You with me? So look at verse 5. I lay down and slept, yet I woke up in safety. In other words, there's no sleeping when you're being chased. But I laid down and I actually slept and I woke up in safety, for the Lord was truly watching over me. David knows Absalom could get him. And then he makes this audacious statement. I'm not afraid of 10,000 enemies who surround me on every side. He woke up feeling pretty good, didn't he? he? He woke up a different guy. He's running out of the kingdom. He's hiding from Absalom. And now all of a sudden he's saying, I'm not afraid of 10,000 enemies who surround me. What happened? What happened was he's recognizing the bigness of God. He's recognizing that he has repented. He's recognizing that he's not perfect. And he's recognizing that this is God who is on his side. And God's not going to bless this move that Absalom has made. It's a bigger peace than just life. It's like a kid at night who's scared. and You hear him and they cry for you. Mom, Dad. You go in and there's a monster outside. <laughs> you crawl in bed with them and they snuggle up and all of a sudden they're fine and they're asleep in no time. The monster may still be there, but you're there. And it makes a difference. And that's what I think happened to David. He knew the monsters were still there, but God was there. And that's the kind of peace that we really, really need. We need to understand something about this kind of peace in Psalm 3. Peace is not the same thing as deliverance. I finally got peace, like it's all over. No. You may not have deliverance, but you can still have peace. Peace is that mystery. Peace is a soul condition that goes beyond emotional instability. The peace of God is, is something that you can go all the way back to the garden when God breathed into Adam and put a soul in him. You have one of those. It's the spirit side of you. It's not just your skin and your flesh and your blood. It's the spirit man that you have. And the peace of God comes to our divine nature, the spirit, and not just to our human instincts. Now, it affects your human instincts, 
But it's a deeper peace than circumstantial. So I can experience this kind of peace even though I may be walking in the grief of a certain situation. I can still experience the peace of God. It's kind of crazy. And then David has a, a whole nother turn and he starts to vent. And that's number five in your outline. To whom will I vent? How many of you just need a good venting once in a while? You know, just, just a good talk. My, my sisters, I have four sisters, and I grew up with hearing them once in a while. One of them, they'd be sitting together or whatever, and they'd be helping each other from a boy breakup or whatever, you know, and, and I would hear one of them say, oh, I just needed a good cry. I'm like, what is that? What's a good cry? There's no such thing as a good cry. If I cry, it means I broke my arm, you know. But this, this is an emotional release. And that's what, that's what venting is. And that's what David is about to do. And uh, this is my favorite part of this psalm in a kind of a twisted way. Because he's so honest with God. This just blesses me. Arise, O Lord, verse 7. Rescue me, my God. Slap all my enemies in the face. Shatter the teeth of the wicked. <laughs> wow, okay. Well, he's a nice guy. See how honest he is? He's, he, he does not like his enemies. And he, he gives this to God. You know, and I, I don't understand. He's just, he's just venting. He's not praying, bless my enemies. He's saying, knock their teeth out with a club. I remember going to my first um, hockey game in Denver. Do you know that they used to be called the Colorado Rockies instead of the Avalanche? How many of you know that? And, and so they were. And so I went. I think it was the old Pepsi Center. It might have even been McNichols. But it was a, when, when, all, when hockey first came to Colorado, I'd never been to a hockey game like this. And I, I went in, and some friends took us from the church here. And we sat right like on the second row behind the glass. And the goal is right there. And, I mean, these guys get their face smashed right up against the glass, you know. And it's like, and I'm sitting there. And it's pretty violent. You know, hockey's a great sport. I know it's very athletic and all. It's part of the game. You don't have to come up and explain anything to me. Um, okay, you don't. Okay, it's fine. Yeah. Some of you are like, well, fights need to happen in hockey. It's a relief. We don't need that relief right now. Let's just relax. But, but what happened was everyone in the crowd started chanting. And they started chanting something that I literally couldn't believe. And they, this is what they were saying. I'll never forget it. Skate on their eyeballs and rip off their lips. Skate on their eyeballs and rip off their lips. <laughs> the whole crowd, thousands of people or something, looking at Bonnie like, what is going on here? Seriously? Wow. I did not chant that, just so you know. But David is venting. He's saying, and here's, here's, here's what he's really saying. He's saying, God, my enemies could kill me, but you are the Lord over my enemies. You have more power than they do, so take them out. I do not have the power to take them out, but you do, so take them out. That's what he's venting. You guys, it's okay to vent, especially to God. I had a guy just a few weeks ago ask me if he could cuss when he vents to God. I said, I don't know. Talk to God about that. 
David is venting. He found the peace of God somewhere. Now he's, he's being honest with God about his feelings. Last thing I want to bring up is the proclamation. This, this psalm ends with a wonderful verse that is a little shocking how, how it ends. And it does have one more selah at the very end. And it says this, Victory comes from you, O Lord. May you bless your people. Sounds just like a little thing like, let's end it with this. But no, think about this. David is at the end. He's running for his life. He could die. He's acknowledging where victory comes. Some of you today, with the stuff you're fighting, listen, you can work harder, think better, pay more money, and, and nothing's going to change. Victory comes from the Lord. Offer this battle to him. That's what David is saying. I know now I can't fix this. I'm done. Victory comes from the Lord. And then he says this amazing thing. And what stuck out was that he, he says, may you bless your people. He didn't say, may you bless me, oh God. May your blessing rest on my life. May your favor come back to me. You guys, sometimes our prayers are so petty. They're so self-centered. Our little preferences, our little desires, and, and we hear and we get caught up or so spoiled. Today, I want us as Timberline Church to, to raise the tide and look above yourself, look above your own needs and say, Oh God, bless your people in northern Colorado. Bless your people in this state. Bless the people of America. Bless the people of this world. Bless your churches around the globe. That's the hope of the world. That's the hope of the world. And if we could get that in our hearts, if we could get that in our hearts to get out of my selfish prayers, something happened to David. He's vented it all. He's said it all. And now he makes this bold statement, God bless your people. I want that blessing to come. What is your proclamation? Better yet, what does your personal story proclaim to the world? Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for a guy like David who didn't have it all figured out. but absolutely repented and loved you and knew that you are all-powerful all the time. May we understand that principle today. May we understand that you are the God who can bring victory to us in our personal situations and around the world. And may our dependence be on you Guys, I want to pray for our adult children, the kids that some of you are still raising. Some of you have really tough situations in your family right now with raising kids that are hard to raise, especially in a culture where, man, it's getting tough. And I want to pray for our grandchildren. 
So if you, if you would say, I, I'm in that category somewhere and I have a need, I want to be involved in this prayer. Whether they have run away from God or whether they're following God, doesn't matter. I just want us as a church to pray for our kids and grandkids. Would you just lift up a hand toward heaven right now if that's you? Lord, we lift our hand. We lift our hearts. We ask you, God, to continue to do the work of God in our family. Lord, give parents wisdom. Give blended parents wisdom. The complexities of raising kids in this generation the culture that we live in. Father, we need to have your strength and your wisdom and your understanding. I pray for these parents and grandparents that you will touch them and enable them. And I pray for the one, especially those who have adult children who have walked away from you. They've they've made decisions that bring pain and heartache. Would you right now let this mom, this dad, feel the comfort and the peace of God? Even though the circumstance may not change, let the peace of God fill their heart today. In your mighty name we ask it. You can put your hand down. Lord, secondly, I just pray for those who need to confess sin. No one may know your sin. Sin can be secret for decades. God loves you so much, he wants you to bring it to him without the exposure to everybody. So why don't you right now, if that's you, just say, Lord, I'm working on this. I trust you. I'm going to believe you. I need to repent. David repented. Bring it to him now. Lord, forgive me. Cleanse me. I draw a new line in the sand today. I don't want to live like this. I bring it to you. And I confess my sin. I need a fresh start. Get some help if you need it. Get someone to pray with you and believe with you and stand with you in your weaknesses and your times of weakness. Father, we give all this to you. In your mighty name we pray it. And everybody said amen. Amen.